Every month, we offer exciting new webinars for our community. Topics include how to use retirement accounts to buy real estate overseas, how to get a second passport in Latin America, why you should sell your stock portfolio and move your money offshore, how to buy beachfront rental properties in Brazil for less than $100,000, or apartments in Paraguay for less than $60,000. If you want to join us for free for these presentations with live Q&A, insider secrets, and exclusive opportunities with my professional network of experts, then go to expatmoney.com forward slash webinars. That's expatmoney.com forward slash webinars to register for free upcoming presentations. expatmoney.com forward slash webinars. We all dream of seeing the world, but the realities of living somewhere outside your place of birth can be daunting to say the least. Welcome to the Expat Money Show, helping you make the most out of your overseas career through conversations with successful expats on investing, entrepreneurship, self-improvement, and continual education, all while sharpening your financial acumen. Now, please welcome your host with over 20 years of overseas experience, Mikkel Thorup. Welcome, welcome, welcome. My name is Mikkel Thorpe, and this is the Expat Money Show. Today's guest is an entrepreneur and educator interested in prosperity zones, breakaway civilizations, and disruptive technologies. He started the Crypto Frontier, an international crypto community in Saipan, and co-founded a blockchain software company, RyePay. He is also the co-founder of Nakamoto Financial, a consulting and financial technology company. After realizing that his dreams of disruption could not be realized in the United States, he moved to Ciudad Morazan in Honduras to become one of the first ever residents of a free private city, where he currently works as a consultant, community manager, and fellow Free Cities Ambassador. Please welcome to the show, Alex Ugori. Alex, how are you? I'm great. Thanks so much for having me, Mikkel. I am looking forward to this conversation. And you and I had a bunch of fun as fellow Free Cities ambassadors at the Liberty in Our Lifetime conference just a couple of months ago in Prague. So that was really cool to get to know you in person and to now have you on the podcast. Yeah, it was great to meet you in person. I look forward to sharing with your listeners some of the cool things we're doing in the number one free private city in the world. Yes, this should be very, very interesting. So let's take a minute and kind of walk us through your backstory. How did you end up in Honduras? How did you get interested in free private cities and and all of these types of things? I'm super curious. Yeah, sure. So I started out in Cambridge, Massachusetts, one of the most progressive places in the world. Uh, Elizabeth Warren was my senator, and many are familiar with her. Where I grew up, Republican was a swear word, so uh, very, very progressive, and I've always been somewhat of a contrarian and open to exploring new ideas and looking for a frontier. So I decided to see what's the most interesting, exciting place. As a, a young man, that was China. I studied Chinese in college. I did some internships in China and was really excited by the growth and energy going there. While in China, I visited a place called Saipan, and it's a U.S. territory near Japan and Guam. I believe one of your past guests, Vin Armani, told you about it, the crypto frontier. That was a project I started there to create an industrial cluster for crypto people in a single place, kind of like a Detroit for cars or a Hollywood 
for movies. And so the thought was by concentrating a bunch of people in one place, we'd be able to have a lot more innovation, a lot more excitement and really push the frontier. So I've always been interested in the frontier from China to Saipan to crypto, the frontier of money. That's always been a passion of mine. And eventually I discovered that no matter how free and autonomous U.S. territories like Saipan are, the federal government is still the ultimate authority and they make building things very difficult. And so I ended up in the free private cities movement, a place pushing not just the, the frontier of an industry, but a frontier of government to make it so that all industries can expand their frontiers. Okay, I want to get into the free private cities. How was it in Saipan, just out of curiosity, though? What was it like there? And did people actually come to be able to build up this nexus of people who were interested in the frontier technologies of crypto? Yeah, so my first experience in Saipan, I think, captures the moment very well. I was coming with a friend on the way from China. He ended up missing the flight, so I was just by myself. I'd never been. He had rented the car. He had rented the hotel. He had done everything. So I get there and I'm just concerned. What am I going to do? The car rental is not in my name. I'm texting him and he just says, don't worry, the car keys are under the seat. You go to the parking lot. Uh, this is a license plate. And you just drive out there. No one checked my license. No one checked my insurance. No one checked anything. And that was the perfect tone to start off Saipan where, and the windows were fully blacked out as well. Something that's not allowed anywhere in the United States, as far as I'm aware. And so it's like, wow, this is crazy. This rental car, there's no paperwork or anything, no security. You can just leave your keys in the airport parking lot, have fully blacked out windows. And it was just a, a very freeing experience. So I'd say that Saipan is the freest place in America, both from a personal freedom perspective. They have the lowest income taxes in the country, legal cannabis, casino gambling, it's second amendment rights apply. So it has tremendous personal freedom as well as a lot of regulatory freedom. There's no separate customs, special visas only for Saipan and a lot of other exemptions that other places in the US don't have. So. Overall, it was a fantastic place. All right. So how come most people have never heard of Saipan, but somewhere like Hawaii, also South Pacific, is like the number one destination? I understand one's an overseas territory, one's a state, yada, yada, yada. But I mean, why did everybody go to Hawaii and nobody's gone to Saipan? Well, Saipan joined the U.S. in the 80s. So most people alive today in the U.S. when they were born... Saipan wasn't even part of the country. So that certainly is part of it. In addition, there's the size. It's only 50,000 people. So it's a very small part of the country. I'm sure you're familiar with Puerto Rico. Many people think Puerto Rico is a country or not part of the United States. And there's millions of Puerto Ricans living in the United States. This is a place with 50,000 people. So there's probably only tens of thousands of people from Saipan in the whole country. And so there's very little reason to interact with them. There's no famous American Samoa is probably more famous than Saipan because they have celebrities like The Rock who have American Samoan origin. So there's not been a great champion until myself, perhaps, or Vin Armani 
started creating a lot of content and advertising the place. But yeah, it really was America's hidden gem. Interesting. Okay, so then let's go back to the other part of the question. What it was it like to get a whole bunch of crypto people in one spot? Did they come, first of all? And second of all, was a lot of innovation born out of that? Yeah, so the crypto frontier part was very exciting because of the territorial autonomy. So a big issue with crypto is when you spend, you're potentially having a capital gains event. And as a territory, there's a lot more flexibility in tax law. So it's theoretically possible to change the law and make it possible to spend crypto without penalty. So a few people were interested in that, like a handful, literally, at the early stages. This was in 2020, so right before COVID happened. And Vin Armani is one. Mark Edge was one. And there are a few others. I know Mark. Mark's awesome. <laughs> Other people that you hadn't heard of, but Vin and Mark were the, the more famous, larger people and both moved over in 2020. And there were plans for conferences and all of these things to take it to the next level. But COVID really killed all the, the travel and the momentum for the project. And as a result, it became a much more insular community working on and building things, but less of a global migration and more, how can we meet the local needs? Okay. Interesting. So then what ended up happening? Why did you end up leaving? Because of COVID? It was perhaps the best place in the country to be in COVID because we didn't have any cases. Okay. They essentially quarantined everyone that came into the island. So they were able to keep out COVID until October, 2021, basically. So we almost had a year and a half, two years of no COVID. So every day we were just living life as normal, pretty much. And that was amazing time where you see on TV all the, the crazy things going on. But yeah, the real challenge, I think, was the federal government's expansion. So the during that time, crypto started going up in value and the federal government started taking a greater interest. There was the library SEC case. There was the Ian Freeman MSB case and all these others. And we had built tools to do things like pay electricity. Uh, we built a tool that allowed you to pay electricity, any company or person on the island using crypto. But we were concerned about money service business regulations. So we were like, do we want to go through all the compliance headache of dealing with this? Or do we just shelve this project that we spent a lot of time and money developing and ultimately we started shelving it. So when you realize most of your time and energy is spent trying to stay compliant and not be the next big crypto case, then that's probably not the best place to build stuff. Okay, that makes sense. I think that there are a lot of reasons to stay under the radar with what's happening in the world. And by painting a giant target on your back is probably not the best option if you want to have a nice peaceful life, let's say. Yes, but you want to build something too, right? It's hard to build something when you can't talk about it and you can't work with others. So it, it just felt like something's wrong. Why are we focusing less on building and more on like the legal nonsense? There must be some place where we can innovate without worry. And that's Mark Edge. Uh, he was the first outside mover besides me to Saipan as part of Crypto Frontier. He told me about the Zetis and invited me to check 
to come check them out at the end of 2021. And I was blown away by what I saw. Yeah, Mark's a personal friend of mine as well. And I know he has a lot to do with Honduras, but he's more out on the islands. Talk to me about the mainland project, the the other Zeti that most people don't know about. Yes, the other Zeti, which is actually the most populated Zeti and thus the most populated free city in the world, is called Ciudad Morazan. I've kind of rebranded it as Bootstrap City because I think that better encapsulates the vibe and atmosphere of the project. So this is a city where rent is $120 a month. It's targeting low-income Hondurans making around $500 a month or so. And it's in the industrial heartland of Honduras. I think the location could not be better. It's 40 minutes from the biggest airport in Honduras, the biggest port in Central America, or at least the biggest deepwater port, Port Cortez. And there's also 10 minutes from a small city of a few hundred thousand that's the fastest growing in Honduras. So its location, I would say, is spectacular. The only downside is that there isn't a beach. Okay, that makes sense. Um, yeah, it's quite funny because everybody hears Prospera, 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 Prospera is always in the news. And Morazan doesn't get a lot of recognition or a lot of publicity, but we're going to fix that today, I think, in this interview. So let's dive into a little bit more about the city itself, or let's say the rules or why something like this exists in Honduras. Sure. So there's this law, the Zeti law. It's a zone for economic development and employment. And this, there was a constitutional amendment passed in 2013 to allow Zetis to exist, which are essentially a new political subdivision in Honduras. You can think of it as a municipality or a department, province, some kind of weird new category they created that are highly autonomous and can be owned by private individuals. So we would refer to these as private cities. There's all kinds of complex classifications and stuff you could get into, but effectively, they're private cities. So there's three private cities that exist in Honduras. Prospera is by far the most famous. Ciudad Morazan is the other residential one. And then there's a third one that's even more under the radar, which is Arcadia. And that's because it's not residential. It's a commercial farming operation at the moment. That's its main focus. It sells food to Walmart and other U.S. companies. So those are the, the three Zetis, which are political subdivisions of Honduras authorized by the Constitution. Okay, so I'm going to interrupt you for a second. So why did you end up in Morazan and not in Prospera? Because Prospera is kind of the one for the foreigners and the expats, and Morazan is more for the locals. That's really cool that you ended up with the locals, but I wonder like why you decided on that. Yeah, so th there's two reasons. The simplest is Prosper doesn't have housing. There's a huge challenge of building housing for residents in Prospera. Right now, there's no houses you can buy or rent inside the Zeti. You'd have to rent one outside the Zeti and you could work inside it. But if you actually want to live in the Zeti, I'm one of only three foreigners, I believe, living in the Zeti in the whole world right now, or a private city more generally. So I like being at the frontier. I want to be at the heart of it. And that just simply wasn't possible in Prospera. Well, especially 
I guess when you came over a few years ago, because I believe the Duna project is being delivered right now or, or should be delivered pretty soon. So that might change in Prospera, but I guess you've been there for a couple of years. So not a lot of options then. Yes. The second is the value proposition. The Bay Islands where Prospera are mainly located are quite expensive. I mean, it's all relative costs, but when your rent is $120 a month, you can, like, it's infinite possibilities, basically. Instead of having a guest room, you can have a guest apartment. You want to open a business, you can just rent an apartment. You want to hire an assistant or do anything. When your cost of living is basically zero, that gives you tremendous freedom for building your business, your family, and your life. And that's kind of the motto of Bootstrap City is, you want to come someplace where you can be lean, have long runway, and reinvest all of your money into the things you care about. I don't want to be spending $1,000 on rent if I can spend $100. I don't want to spend $300 on electricity if I can spend $50. So it's, yeah, I guess I can afford to live in Prospera, but the Morrison gives me more value for my money. I'm in the industrial heartland. I have access to better labor market. I have lower costs, and that's what mattered to me. Very interesting. Super, super interesting. Talk to me about some of the projects that you've started because you and I over dinner, you were describing some of them and I thought these were just so rad. Talk us through some of the projects that you've been working on. Yeah, so uh, part of my job as a consultant, I help people interested in opening businesses and setting up projects. And then I also do some myself. So RyPay has built a crypto ecosystem inside of Morazon and Bootstrap City, where you can live your entire life in crypto. And so you can pay your rent, you can pay your utilities, you can shop at the little supermarket, the gym, the salon. Every business, as far as I'm aware of, will take the crypto ecosystem. So doing that anywhere else is quite challenging. You need to, what, what are the regulations, the on-ramping, off-ramping, money service business, all of these logistics are a huge pain. In Morazon, you just talk to the Morazon team and say, look, uh, I think it'd be really cool if we had some kind of digital payment system, having to carry around cash or pay large fees to transfer domestically doesn't make sense. I can build this cool system. All I need from you is to accept the payment method. And they're like, oh, someone wants to invest in the city and build stuff. We support it. How can we help? So that's the kind of mentality you get in Bootstrap City is when you're trying to create something, the city is ready to help. Similar, there's a German guy doing a solar project here. And they said, yeah, you can put them on the roofs and we'll buy the electricity from you and resell them to the residents. We're happy that people are willing to invest in the project and no need to get any Morazon permits or do anything like that. You send an email. Here's what I want to do. Here's what I'm thinking for pricing. And that was that. And so the project is being started and they're drilling holes in walls and the grounds and doing all kinds of things that in a normal city, it could take weeks and weeks to get approved. So it's just really awesome how easy it is to open a business. What about the gym? I remember you telling me about a gym project you were working on. Yeah. So I myself am interested in fitness and gyms, and there's some other people interested as well. So I helped them to open a gym and 
it was just in a unit. So there's no zoning laws in Morazon, which is pretty unique. So you can open your business in your house, no problem, no need to ask all these permissions and any of that. So rented a unit, bought some equipment, opened a gym, and the gym had no employees and the doors never locked, which everyone said was like impossible. How can you not have someone watching to make sure no one sneaks in or steals the equipment? How can you keep the door unlocked? All these things that just people are telling me were crazy. We did it and it worked perfectly. There's not been any issues of anything being stolen. There's not been any issues of people sneaking in to use the gym. And so it's like this high trust, business friendly environment just allows you to do things that wouldn't be possible elsewhere. How much does it cost to open a gym in any other city? Here it's $120 for a month plus the cost of equipment. No need to hire anybody, no need to get any permits or do any of that kind of stuff. So that I think is the amazing part of Bootstrap City. It allows you to try things cheaply and see what works. Well, and that's cool because so many entrepreneurial ventures that are, people are doing, especially in today's day and age, are all online this, online that, drop shipping, FBA, things like this, product and white labeling. And this is like such an easy business. Buy a bunch of equipment and then charge someone a fee to come and use it. And I would imagine the life cycle of a piece of gym equipment should be like forever. So once you have that upfront investment made, I mean, it's pretty much all profit after that, especially if you're not paying expensive staff or lots of different ways that to secure everything and protect everything. If you are in an environment that has like high trust, then it sounds like a good little cash flowing business to me. Yeah. And there's also, uh, I think the solar panels are even more interested in that regard. The thought with that is they can be potentially tokenized. So in Morazon, there wouldn't be all the security issues of tokenization and all of that. And you also have the rule of law. So imagine you're someone looking for some fixed income yield and you're like, okay, energy prices in Honduras are ridiculous. So this solar farm is going to be very profitable. It's low maintenance. You can't really steal them. They're bolted to a roof and there's very high security anyways. Plus there's arbitration in Morazon. It costs $50 to start a case. So it's not, oh, I'm gonna have to sue in Honduras if I get screwed or there's some dispute and it's gonna take years and cost thousands and be in Spanish and all of that. No, there's arbitration rights inside the Zetis, the Honduras's free cities. And this allows you to get the first world rule of law with the third world returns. So the, the gym is amazing for a local Honduran business person where they like just a normal person saving up money, building a, a business and then growing it. But what I think is even more interesting is attracting foreign capital to a country that normally would not be appealing because you have the high trust, you have the rule of law and you have the cool financial innovations like tokenization that can make it all easy. Super, super interesting. Yeah. Tell me any other country in the world where you can just start a power plant out of nowhere with no permits and no nothing and just get to work on day one. I don't know any, I would say. Yeah. And we're just scratching the surface. The amount of autonomy that the Zetis have is incredible. 
Prospera is using it a lot more for interesting cases. They have gene therapy companies doing medical trials that will then be submitted to the FDA to be recognized as a, a foreign overseas trial. There's drone companies doing drone delivery. There's new banks being chartered. This is an incredible amount of autonomy that you can't really get anywhere else in the world. Okay, so let me interrupt you then. So these projects, they're being done in Morazan or they're doing in Prospera? Because I think in Prospera, why aren't they done in Morazan then? Yeah, so I think the most exciting projects from a foreigner perspective, the gene therapy, the drones, the bank charters are being done in Prospera. Morazan is focusing on the cash flow industrial business sector. And a large part of this has to do with the differences between the two private cities business models, which I think is a beautiful thing that you can have different business models for a city. So Prospera is the VC business model. They're trying to build this cool startup, attract the smartest, greatest people in the world and have them build something crazy. Morazan is trying to have a industrial, a neo-industrialist city where you can build your factory, your solar farms, your power plant, whatever you want to build in the real world, you can build it quickly and start cash flowing immediately. So their target markets are a little different. And since Morazan has, they don't need to keep raising money. They don't need to hype. So the incentives are a little different. Their Morazan's more concerned with not making the news. They don't want to see an article that says human experiments being conducted in the Zetis, where Prospera, although they'd say they're all foreigners, they voluntarily signed up for this, they're willing to take on the risk for that because they've brought in people like Brian Johnson, people worth hundreds of millions of dollars in the industry to do gene therapy treatments in Prospera, to invest in gene therapy companies and to put them on the map. So the, the incentive structure is a little different and it leads to different businesses. But as I like to say, anything Prospera can do, we can do better. Okay. <laughs> so there's a little bit of competition between the two zones then, I suppose. The, mostly of my creation. Uh, <laughs> I like to be friendly, but I, I don't know. I love a sibling rivalry. I think it, it leads to more growth and more fun. Yeah, absolutely. I'm very much against the participation awards with kids and the mentality that gives. I think competition is good. I, I, I think healthy competition is excellent. So, all right. So we've talked about a gym. We've talked about the power plant. These are small things that have started up, that have started up in, in this area. What about any larger projects where you keep saying like manufacturing? Give me some examples of that. Sure. So before Morrison was even started the construction, they had lined up almost a thousand manufacturing jobs. There was going to be a pharmaceutical company making some kind of medical equipments, a pharmacy distributor, a call center, and a couple other small businesses in the like textile type industries. So this was what was planned, and then there was a big government change in 2021. We haven't discussed the political situation, but the worst case political situation occurred, the Marxists got into power. And so they are completely hostile to free market capitalism. And what is more free market capitalism than a private city? 
So they had campaigned on the destruction of the Zetis, the Honduran free private cities. And as a result, Massimo Mazzone, the developer of Ciudad Morazan, basically told everyone, I can in good conscience recommend you continue with your investment until we see what happens. So at the time the, the government came into power, there was just one major company uh, it was making something around a million dollars a year. So paying a, a fair amount of tax revenue and supporting things. But soon after the new government came into power, it relocated outside the zone because there were threats and implications that, you know, what if we stop your containers coming in? And it was a, a pharmaceutical distributor and the medicine expires in the sun. So this is the scary part of Latin America. I think you being in Panama experienced this recently yourself where the populist sentiment can turn very quickly against the business climate. So the owner having lived in Honduras for 20 years and being very familiar with the region more generally, basically just said, legally we're super protected. We have a law, a constitutional amendment, international treaties, but sometimes none of that matters. And so I just recommend everyone pause for a little bit until we see what happens. And that was what halted all of the industrial companies from coming in. Everyone is just waiting and seeing. And so far, it, it's going pretty good. There's another two years left in this administration. And if we survive the most hostile government possible in our infancy, when we have almost no jobs, almost no residents, almost no investment, then it basically means we're unstoppable from here. Yeah, we've discussed the problems with the current administration multiple times on this, mostly almost 99% of the time all from the Prospera side. So it's interesting to hear from the Morazan side how things were handled and what happened there. It's pretty wild what they've done. There's no question about it. It, it's wild, but it's it's not, and I, that's not very clear. What I'm suggesting is a government that campaigned on shutting down the Zetis, which has made many rule of law violations outside of this topic, is unable to shut down the Zetis. Yeah, because they're suing them now for like how many billions of dollars, and it has to Just be mediated is yeah. suing more than $10 billion. None of the others yeah. <laughs> are suing at the moment, but they have claims as well that they could make. So this is the type of thing where the government thought, oh, we can just get in there and shut this down, but they have to repeal a constitutional amendment, repeal a law, and then even with all of that, there's international treaties that secure the rights of these private cities. So they're learning, even though we got into power, we cannot just shut these down like we could a normal government program. And this is perhaps the most amazing thing about the Zetis and free cities more generally, is that they can provide stability in regions that are lacking. Even Panama, which had been in Chile, both of those two were the golden gems of Latin America in terms of free markets and capitalism. They've recently experienced their own Marxist-type takeovers where the rule of law and business has been challenged. Oh, yeah. 
Chile, for sure. I mean, Panama, we had some protests. This is still Latin America. I mean, there was a bunch of protests here and it was handled poorly, but but I wouldn't go quite as far. I mean, I'm on the ground here in Panama. Panama's normal life. We'll see what happens with the Canadian mine. But the whole thing was ridiculous. Just absolutely ridiculous, for sure. So the we have insulation from that. The national government cannot nationalize any assets inside the Zetis. They cannot change the tax laws in the Zetis. They cannot change the labor laws in the Zetis. So... We have insulation from all of these potential changes that could happen in the capital, which is incredibly powerful. Yeah. And I think that, yes, Honduras government is going to get a bit of a wake-up call when you have like U.S. investors putting money in and arbitration is done and international courts. And next time they go to get a loan or something like that, and it's like, well, you pay back the debts that you already owe to other people, and then you will get the loans. Once you start messing around in this, I think it's going to be a lot more difficult for them. I've been following this story for so long, actually. I remember on our podcast, I want to say probably about five years ago or six years ago, I got quoted in the Honduras newspapers. And it said something basically like, Danish neo-colonialist podcaster says it would be awesome to move to Roatan and take over or something. And I'm like, First of all, I'm Canadian. Second of all, like, okay, my family's from Denmark, but I'm Canadian. And Nino Colonialist, what the, where does this come from? I'm like, I had made some comment about how cool it would be to have a place and this plot of land and move in and help it grow and flourish and provide jobs. And they took something completely out of context and it made it in the national newspaper. And that was probably like five years ago or something like that. So the sentiment has been negative for a while. But the fact that they actually ran on things like this to destroy a beautiful thing is the absolutely wild part of it for me, as I said. Not only is it wild, it's incredibly ironic. And Boris is Zetis may be the least colonial law ever passed in terms of a type of zone. Unlike a Hong Kong or other similar shining examples, which actually were colonies, right? Where did Hong Kong come from? The British, it was a war proceed for the British. No one's talking about Hong Kong as a, a neo-colonial party right now. Honduras was a law passed by Hondurans for Hondurans. They amended their own constitution internally. Hondurans said, we need a way to attract investment. We need a way to prevent the constant swings of politics, the lack of stability, the rule of law. It was Honduran-inspired, and they themselves passed the laws, the amendments, and agreed to everything. So to paint this as some foreigners came in and did it, I think is really disrespectful to the, the very brilliant Honduran politicians and leaders who figured out a way to attract what is now over $150 million in investment, thousands of jobs, with hundreds of millions more ready to go once the government decides to fully acknowledge all the rights promised to the zones under the constitution. Well, and they didn't expropriate the land. The way they styled a lot of these arguments is that the foreigners just went in there and took the land. It was purchased on the open market, on the secondary market. They acquired the land legally in free market enterprise. Like it wasn't, they were taking it away from poor farmers and giving them nothing and shipping them off or murdering them or something. I mean, they 
purchased this land? Yeah, a real estate developer purchased a bunch of land at generally not market prices, above market prices, and then followed a then the Honduran government accepted their proposal to create a zone. The Honduran government was involved in this every step of the way. And all of parties that sold land were paid large sums of money. So it's you're right that you know there's nothing here. This is a complete hit piece. And it's sad, but also funny to hear that you were caught up in all of this, despite being somewhat far away. Yeah. I'll find the newspaper clipping. I've got it around somewhere because everybody was like, we got to take down the podcast. We got to do this, you know, placate them, placate them. And I'm like, meh, I don't really want to. Like, I mean, I said what I said and I don't think it was so out of turn. And I think it was definitely quoted out of context by all means, but I just thought it was pretty funny that it made it around the country in this socialist newspaper. But anyways, let's move on from that one because I'm sure I'm going to get some flack for this little piece anyways. For those interested in moving to another country, I highly recommend learning the local language before you arrive. After traveling for the last 23 years straight, I have seen many people fall into the expat bubble trap. This is where you move to a new country and you only talk to people from the USA or Canada and you are unable to make local friends. The best way to combat this is by having an understanding of the local language. And the best program I have ever seen for this is storylearningcourses.com. These are the programs I use to go from very crummy language skills to fluent in no time flat. The courses are fun and easy to understand and most importantly, really work. No matter where you are in your language learning abilities, go to storylearningcourses.com. That's storylearningcourses.com to learn more. Explain to me or or tell me about what is your life like there? I want to know like boots on the ground. What is it like to live in a free private city? Yeah, so I would say the the life is normal and normal for me an American. Right? That perhaps is the magic part. My door is unlocked. I go outside, there's kids running around playing on their bikes. The businesses are open. Like it's just a, a normal community and there's no fear, there's no trash everywhere, there's no open sewage all things that are pretty normal just a couple miles away in the surrounding areas don't exist here. So like for a person who already lives in this type of environment, it's not it's just normal. But for Hondurans, it's kind of life-changing to get a, a taste of the developed world and for the prices of Honduras. The rent here is generally cheaper than the surrounding area. 60 meters square for $120 a month. That's competitive even in Honduras. So you're getting 24-7 security, water, etc. Things that you won't be able to get in other municipalities, but for a cheaper price often than what you were paying before. So that's kind of the everyday life is people just enjoying their friends, their families, their kids, walking their dogs, going to the little mini mart, living their life, like without fear, with hope, with happiness. So it's very upbeat, happy place. Cool. That's super rad. And we're talking now over the internet and your internet connection seems to be nice and stable. Is internet levels pretty fast there? Is it reliable? What's the internet situation like? 
Yeah, the internet situation is pretty interesting. I, I'll probably do a post on this soon on Twitter. For those that don't know, every Monday I do a Moras on Monday post where I talk about some of the interesting stuff going on in Morazon. My Twitter is my name, Alex Ugorji. And so we actually have five internet providers, soon to be six in Morazon. So it's super easy to set up internet in Morazon. You don't need permission. You don't need any of that. You just come in and you start wiring it. So it's that simple. And thus we have a ton of competition for internet. The quality varies significantly. The prices are very competitive though, due to the competition. But a lot of these companies are resellers and don't have the best pipelines. But there's a couple that are stable and Starlink just entered Honduras this month as well. So my Starlink is actually supposed to arrive today and that we expect to be very fast as well. So there are decent internet companies in terms of reliability. The speeds are not great. Yet, the plan for the call center was to wire in fiber. Because we are outside the big city, there are plenty of fiber options. You can get hundreds of megabytes per second if you want, but you just have to pay to wire it in. And the, with around 200 people living in Morazon, it doesn't make sense for the fiber company to do it yet. But if there's a big business, they'll do it themselves. And in the meantime, we do okay. Nice. How about restaurants, cafes, grocery stores? What is the food situation like there? Do you have good options? The food situation is very sparse. It's all just home businesses and restaurants, very like street food style, baleadas, burritos, nachos, tacos, those type of things. But we don't have any big formal restaurant yet. Probably that will come next year. There's currently 44 units under construction and likely will be another 40 or so built next year. It's so quick and easy to build here. So we can build very quickly. And in some of those, the building they want to build next year will include commercial space. So that will allow for more traditional businesses as opposed to just the home business style. So right now there's no Michelin star restaurant and <laughs> likely a decade or more away from that. Makes sense. Makes sense. How about making local friends? Have you learned the language? Do you get along well with the people there? What's the social situation like? Yeah, I think being a foreigner, you're always very interesting and people are, are very friendly. Linguistically, I'm a little bit challenged at the moment. I studied Chinese, <laughs> not Spanish, which... It seems is a, a mistake at this point. In Saipan and China, knowing Chinese was quite helpful, but in Honduras, I've not encountered any Chinese yet, but quickly my Spanish is improving and everyone's very friendly. I have a few local friends, but they tend to speak English and be bilingual so that I'm a little bit in the bubble, but it's in recent months been expanding as my Spanish improves and it's certainly easy to make friends here, everyone is very happy and friendly. Could be a future business opportunity if a bunch of extra foreigners move there. You could have a little language school, hire some of the Hondurans to teach the foreigners how to speak Spanish, and maybe vice versa. Some of the, the locals will want to learn English as well. So you, that could be a future business, maybe. With the cost of $120 a month rent, every business becomes viable. Yeah. <laughs> All right, we're going to have a... 
language school, you're going to live in bunks or whatever, and it's going to be $500 a month. You live in a Spanish environment. Everything's taken care of. You could still make money even with those low prices. So I encourage any of the scrappy entrepreneurs of the world, they want a, a cheap home base to build something low tax. We haven't talked about taxes. Let's talk about taxes. I like talking about taxes. We have a single 5% flat territorial income tax. There's no VAT, there's no property tax, only a single income tax is all we have and it's territorial. So money that's not sourced from Ciudad Morazan is not taxed there. Okay. So any online business, coach consulting, as we said before, Amazon FBA, drop shipping, paid from a company outside, et cetera, et cetera. There's no tax in there. But if you're generating the, the money inside Morazan, there's a 5% flat tax. Is that right? Yeah. If anything sourced in Morazan is 5% flat, it's not going to break your bank either way. But most of the online worker types will probably have most, if not all of their income, not be classified as Morazan sourced. So the gym or our hypothetical language school, there'd be a 5% on that. But if you took the language school online, then there would be zero. Exactly. Yeah, I could live with that. I think that's pretty rad. <laughs> so very nice tax rates and very simple. Don't have to worry about VATs and all of this and that. So it's everything in Morazon is designed to be pro-growth and pro-business and they want to support you. If you said, I want to create a language school in Morazon and that you have, I mean, if you just send the email and you have no, any competence or experience or reason to do it, they might say, are you sure you want to do this? But if you say, look, I've taught a, a language class before. I'm from Guatemala. I had a school there. I worked at the school there for a year. I read about your city. I think it'd be a great place to do a remote immersive language camp. They would say, no problem. We'll help you to set up a unit. What do you need? And they'll support you. So that part is huge where they're, they want to support business. They want growth. Most governments are the opposite. 100% for sure. And even with that idea, like you said, you could make it a destination. You could have it as a trip, as a one-month, all-inclusive retreat, full immersion, 24 hours a day language. You could do not even just Spanish. You could do it French. You could be a French person come in and want to do. You could do anything. But like you said, when the rents are so little and there's so little tax and so little regulation, if you could bring in five people, 10 people, that'd probably be a fantastic little business. Yep. So it's, it's a super interesting place in that regard. And if anyone's interested, feel free to reach out to me. I'm also very supportive of new businesses. I think this innovative free city model and pro growth model needs to spread far and wide. So talk to me about what businesses are missing from the community. Like we said, okay, a Michelin star restaurant, there's no Starbucks there, but like what other kinds of businesses would like, do you walk around and go, Hey, this would be a cool idea. Or, Oh, I wish someone would just go out there and start this because I would be a customer. What does that look like? I think it's better to do business to business personally. The business to customer market in low income countries is very tough. It's a competitive market. The margins are low. I would not recommend a restaurant in a low income country unless you're the fancy restaurant that's charging American prices because there's lots of competition and low margins. So I'd encourage everyone to think of 
how can you sell to Westerners or leverage your Western connections? Can you raise dollars for cheap and then invest them in something productive like solar panels that will have high returns domestically? You want to leverage the first world rule of law inside the Zetis to get, yeah, first world rule of law, third world returns. That's like the the ultimate benefit and advantage, I would say, of the Zetis for foreigners. And then for domestic people, it's you can hire people under more friendly labor laws without having to worry about the whims of the government changing and all that kind of stuff. So it's it's a unique environment, not designed for your traditional Western business. But if the right one, like a gym, could work well. Well, any other examples of, okay, we, we covered the power, we covered the internet, we covered the gym. What's missing from the community right now for you to have, like we say, like a normal Western style life? What's missing from that? The restaurant is definitely missing, but it's not, a, it's missing for a reason. Sure. When your rent is so low, if you don't have a business, it's because it, it doesn't make sense. If you the restaurant doesn't work well on $120 a month rent, then there's no way it can work with the current population count and the current market demand. So as we get more like, and this is the philosophy of Morazon as well. Morazon expected to have zero foreigners living there. And there's multiple foreigners living there. So Massimo, the, the owner would say, I had no idea that these weird digital nomad crypto people would come here. We didn't design a city for them. But now that we're here, we see they have a unique thing they can bring to the city. And we're happy to uh, accommodate their needs and interests so we can get more of them. So it's really hard to centrally plan the city and decide what should come. It will naturally emerge whatever demands are needed. But I'm sure we can brainstorm a dozen or a half a dozen random little things that are missing. What about where do people get their haircut? Is there a barber or a salon or what does that look like? Yeah, actually, there's a lady who does haircuts, nails, all those type of things straight from our home. You know, it's a very entrepreneurial community. People just open a business and you could too. It's a wide open field. All of your traditional businesses are largely missing here due to it being the ground floor. You want to open a co-working space, a hostel, a hardware store, pretty much everything will need to be opened in the coming years. And you can come here and whatever your dream, maybe it's retirement. I talked to a guy the other day who wanted to open a golf shop in his retirement where he could just talk to people about golf all day. Like this might be the place where you can open your retirement business, a bookshop, a library, whatever it is. Morazon is in early stages and you can open it here. Low cost of rent, low cost of labor and much less competition. That's crazy because it's like exactly as you said, like your retirement or, you know, these don't have to be, I'm going to build the next Facebook or I'm going to build, you know, a multi-billion dollar company. You can start a small business and it can actually be profitable in a very, very early stage. You can do something because you like it and be in a position where you're actually seeing something grow and flourish. Like how many times in life do you think you're going to be on the frontier where you can just watch everything come up and, and all the growth there? I just think that that's so cool. Yeah, people like to talk a lot about freedom, 
but perhaps the biggest restrictor of freedom is finances. We saw that in COVID, a lot of people did not want to get vaccinated, but they couldn't afford to lose their job. One of the best things about Bootstrap City is you can afford to lose your job here. Because the cost of living is so low, like you're not beholden to anyone. You can focus on the things that matter to you. You can take risks. You can open the business. You can start your family, have that extra kid. I mean, it just seems like anything is possible here. And I haven't felt that type of energy anywhere else. Alex, amazing. I love the conversation. Super, super interesting. Super interesting to hear what it's like to actually live in a place like this, not just the theoretical side of it or the engineering and technology side of what goes into building a free private city, but someone who's actually there physically. So amazing. If my listeners want to get a hold of you, if they want to find out more about what you do, if they want to follow you on Twitter, where can we send them? Yeah, you can send them to at Alex Shigorji on Twitter, or they can go to alexshigorji.com. That's spelled U-G-O-R-J-I, alexshigorji.com. Amazing. Alex, thank you so much, and I will talk to you soon. Thank you. Bye-bye. Super exciting news. We just released our first in a series of expat guidebooks. These are in-depth country guides on how to move to another country, and the first one released is Expat's Guide on Moving to Mexico. It took us over two years to compile all the research and write this book on Mexico, and coming in at 475 pages, you can really see how much work has gone into this. It's a complete guide on everything you need to know if you want to move to Mexico including where to live, immigration, taxes, lifestyle, buying property, how to get a driver's license, and a million other things you would never think you need the answers to. You can find the book directly on Amazon by searching for Expat's Guide on Moving to Mexico or go to expatguidebooks.com, which will take you to our online shop where you will find the book. Go to expatguidebooks.com. That's expatguidebooks.com. This episode may be over, but your journey to greatness continues by visiting our webpage and signing up for our newsletter. For convenient access to new episodes, show notes, and other crucial resources, visit expatmoneyshow.com. We look forward to you joining us on the next episode of the Expat Money Show. Safe travels. I have managed to secure exclusive rights to a block of villas in one of the hottest up-and-coming regions in my current home country, Panama. Join me Saturday, May 4th at 10 a.m. Central, 11 a.m. Eastern Time for our special presentation called Investors Workshop, capitalizing on the globally recognized resort brand coming to Panama. We will discuss how the tourism landscape in this region will change rapidly upon the public announcement of this project and how I have secured the rights for my clients to capitalize on this opportunity before anyone else. Thanks to my connections in the region, I have negotiated pricing that front runs everyone else. Think early, early bird pricing. From gourmet restaurants to vibrant clubs, poolside activities, and even live bands, this resort is going to pump some serious life into the region.
But this isn't what excites me or what should excite you either. The exciting part is that these world-class amenities and top brand will attract tens of thousands of tourists. Tourists who will fork over top dollar to stay at our investment properties. Register free at expatmoney.com forward slash webinars. That's expatmoney.com forward slash webinars to register for this free real estate workshop. See you on May 4th at 10 a.m. Central Time. That's 11 a.m. Eastern time, go to expatmoney.com forward slash webinar.